Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 17. The title of our study is A Heart for Worship. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, what we do is we teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We believe that's the best way to learn God's Word, is in context. If you pick up any other book or magazine or comic book for the kids, you don't start in the beginning and go to the middle and then turn to the last page and go back and try and you know, make it all fit together. You read it in context, right? You go through it. And so that's the way we approach God's Word. We want to go through... Uh, these books of the Bible together. So we're picking up here in chapter 17, and we'll see God has a desire for Israel to worship him and the way that they live, the way that they bring their offerings to him, but also in the way that they would conduct themselves, the way that they would rule and govern over themselves as a people and also later set up kings, but also in the way that they would represent him to the nations uh, that surrounded them. A.W. Tozer said, Worship acceptable to God is the missing crown jewel in evangelical Christianity. He also said, what comes into our mind about God is the most important thing about us. When we have the right view of who God is, everything else falls into place. And so my hope is we'll see there's applications here for us, how God wants us to worship him as well in the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, and also how we lead. And so with that, let's take a look here at verse 1, and we'll see the, uh, this concern over the perfection of sacrifices. So Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 1. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. We'll pause there. God said that the offering, the bull or the lamb that was brought before him had to be without defect, had to be without blemish. And ultimately because we know that this points us to Jesus Christ, right? Who is without blemish, without defect. First Peter 1.19 says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So these sacrifices pointed to a future sacrifice. They couldn't bring a, a three-legged lamb, right? That was not acceptable to the Lord. But over time, Israel began to get complacent in their offerings. When you get to uh, the book of Malachi, some say he's the Italian prophet and call him Malachi, but it's Malachi. Um, in Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, um, God is telling, is, he's asking us some interesting questions, and he says, To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor, and 
Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. At that time that Malachi is writing this to the religious leaders, they had um, showed little respect and honor in their sacrifices to the Lord. And you may wonder, how did they get to that point of offering these imperfect sacrifices? Right? They called God Father, they called him Master, and they didn't show reverence to him in the way they offer these sacrifices. They offered defiled food to God. They offered animals that were blind, uh, blind uh, lame, and then also sick. Animals that had defect, they were offering. And it's interesting here because God asked them, would you offer this as a gift to your governor? If you brought that and you gave it to your governor, would he be pleased with it? No. So why should God be pleased with it? And we see that the priests weren't even aware that they despised God with their actions. This meant that this, this dangerous um, situation they were in came little by little. They probably didn't even know the extent of their offense. They simply carried on as before. It was slowly slid into despising God's name. It's a reminder to us that we cannot worship God with defective offerings, right? We cannot make worship into what we want it to be. Worship is not about us. Worship is about God. And I've heard people say before, during our time of song and worship, I don't know, I just didn't get anything out of that. That's okay. It wasn't about you. It was about God. <laughs> right? He's the one that we should be focusing on. Right? He's the one that we want to give the praise and the glory to. And so defective worship is essentially a misunderstanding of the person of God and what he requires of his people to worship him correctly. Worship is an individual act. It's, it's coming from the heart, and really it's an overflow of the heart. Right? We love him because he first loved us. So we don't worship to get something from God. We worship in response to the way that he's loved us. We worship because we love him. It's a response to the love that he's demonstrated for us. And so that's, that should be the heart. Right? We need to know God and, and to worship him uh, as an acceptable individual uh, worship, right? And our, our life can be a living worship unto him as well. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, I'm glad that the offering needed to be without defect and not the person who was bringing the offering. Otherwise, we'd all blow it, right? None of us are perfect. In fact, we all have... Um, some shortcomings and some defects. As some of you know, my wife is hard of hearing, um, and yet I'm amazed by the way that she can hear things from the Lord as she's reading the Word of God. As some of you know, I have a, a nervous system disorder that causes me to blink a little bit more than normal, and yet my wife has constantly told me that she's amazed that I can see things from a spiritual perspective. So the things that we would think that would hinder us from being used by God God says, I can use you. Put your life in my hands and watch what I can do. And I'm convinced the reality is each of us have some sort of defect. We live in a sinful, fallen world, right? Adam and Eve, they blew it in the Garden of Eden, and they caused the devastation to continue on to where we're at today, right? We each have um, something that in our life doesn't seem to be perfect, but in the hands of the Lord, it can be used for his glory. God is really good at taking messes 
and making masterpieces. Uh, it's it's his, his gift, right? In fact, you even take a look at the disciples. Um, the guys were a mess, and yet God molded them and shaped them to become these mighty vessels of glory for him. And so we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And only he can purchase us out of the slavery of sin and free us forever. So we worship in response to his love. We worship him because he deserves it. We worship him because we want to. And if anyone ever tries to force you to worship God, then it's not gonna be a real worship. It needs to be from your own heart, right? If somebody drags you here and they force you to stand up and they force you to raise your hands and they move your mouth for you and they try and make you say words, it's not gonna mean anything. Right? You have to want to worship God. And the way that you're going to worship him is by knowing him. And the more you realize how much he loves you and what he's done for you and how he's died on the cross for you, and he wants to walk with you, the more you just fall in love with God. And the more you worship him. And you'll find you'll be just randomly singing songs throughout the day. You'll be randomly just praising the Lord and thanking him for things throughout the day. And it's, it's a life filled with worship that God desires from us. Well, next, in verse 2 through 7, we'll see concerning those that worshipped uh, idols and how Israel was to deal with them. And so we'll pick up here in verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun, the moon, or the host of heaven, which I have not commanded. And it is told of you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true, and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, and you shall bring out to the, your gates that man or that woman who has committed that wicked thing, and shall stone to death that man or that woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. We'll pause there. The, the judges and the leaders of Israel had the responsibility to safeguard the people of Israel from idolatry. They were commanded to make sure that those that would go after false gods, they were to first to, to be investigated, to find out is it true, to, to carefully and diligently seek out the facts and if they were found to be guilty, then they were to be executed. It's interesting some of the things that are listed here that people would go after. And we see this in the book of Romans, that people would rather serve the creation than the creator. It mentions worship of the sun. And this was very common in Egypt. Uh, they would worship Ra, their sun god. Um, and there's many others. There are sun heroes uh, that are found in India, Iran, uh, the Greco-Roman and Scandinavian mythology. 
uh, the Plains Indians of, of North America that had the sun dance. Uh, there are civilizations in Aztec and Mexico and Peru that they worshipped uh, the sun. And in fact, the, the sun's a prominent feature uh, in Japan. It played a very important uh, mythological and spiritual representation of God. And uh, it even uh, identifies on their flag that it represents the Japanese state. Uh, then we see the worship of the moon. There were lun uh, lunar uh, deities, the, the, person, the personification of, uh, of the moon and the power from it. Um, all the hunting cultures involved with regarding the moon as evil or as dangerous. You didn't want to upset the moon god. And, and the agricultural traditions, uh, they regarded as a benevolent ruler during planting and harvesting seasons. So if you had good crops, it could be because the moon god was happy. If you had bad crops, you did something to offend the moon god. Um, we also see that uh, uh, today we see the followers of Islam. Uh, they, uh, in Mecca, have this uh, cube-like statue. It's called the Kaaba. And uh, there's a crescent piece from the moon, they say, that came down from Allah. And uh, that Allah gave to them. And they will walk around it and, and, and uh, do this kind of a worship um, situation. Uh, that they're recognizing that God gave them this, this crescent piece of the moon. And so very, very uh, interesting taking place. And then we also see it says, worship the host of heaven. Uh, worshiping the stars, the planets, the, the Milky Way galaxy, the things that are, are above us in the heavens. Uh, and this was very common uh, in most, if not all of the cultures from Mesopotamia, where astronomy and astrology reached high degree of status. Uh, Asia Minor, Egypt, uh, Iran, India, Japan, Indonesia, China, Polynesia, even Africa and European cultures worship the gods of the heavens. And some of them got involved in worship of the planets, uh, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, the constellations that you find in, in the night sky. Uh, the Greeks, the Romans would worship them and um, that's where some of the constellations came from. And so we see that man is intent on worshiping things that it can see, that it can make, that it can calculate, versus worshiping the God that made everything. Worshiping the creator, right? And so we wanna make sure we're not worshiping creation, we're worshiping the creator, the one who's made us and desires that relationship with us. But today people still worship these things. Uh, people worship their suntan. Um, People worship solar power. People worship the cycle of time defined by the lunar months, the power of the moon on the ocean waves. Um, others worship the heavens. They get involved in horoscopes. Um, sometimes they're connected to past cultures like those of the Stonehenge. Um, some get involved with comets flying by and say there's UFOs connected with it. Um, there's people, I would say, in Hollywood or Hollyweird um, they get involved in Scientology, which is a whole other thing that UFOs basically planted us here, and lots of weird things, and so many of these so-called messages in the sky, right? It's all false. It's false gods. It's false guise of religion, leading people astray from the heart of the Lord, from the creator of the universe. So we see there was a law for punishing those that worship these false gods. It was a a capital crime to seduce others into idolatry. As I was thinking about that in our, our Christian context, 
You know, years ago there was the coexist bumper stickers and, and slogan, you know, it had the symbol of all the, the major religions and, and the mindset was, why can't we just all get along? And yet there's a religion in that coexist that wants to kill the others, right? Um, and it's interesting that the world will say they're a religion of peace, yet they're the one that's burying the sword and executing Christians all the time in the Middle East. And so we see that it, it's a nice sentiment, but it's not reality. Uh, we also see this new age has been moved into the church and that, you know, Jesus Christ isn't the only way to heaven, that you can do whatever you want and reach the status of heaven and, and these so-called churches and pastors are teaching and promoting that. And it's, it's sad. Um, they're teaching what we would say is relativism. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and both truths are gonna get us to heaven. And I think, no. Obviously, you've not read the Bible. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through him. There's one way to the Father. It's through the Son. In fact, as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, weeping and sweating drops of blood. I don't know about you, but I've been stressed out, but I've never been stressed out before where I'm sweating drops of blood. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, this, this cup of wrath I'm about to endure. And, and the father didn't say, oh yeah, hold out. I got all these other ways people can get saved. There was no other way for us to be redeemed. And so Christ went to the cross for us. He voluntarily went so that we can be purchased, so that we could have a way of salvation. And so those pastors, those churches that no longer hold to the absolute truth of the Bible, and the gospel message, God's gonna deal with them. He's gonna judge them accordingly. Uh, and as we've seen earlier, one day every knee's gonna bow, every tongue's con gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. And I always encourage people, beat the rush. Do it now. Don't wait till that day. You can do it now, right? Make sure that you're right with the Lord. So we see that God desires us to worship him as the creator and not, and thus not get involved in worshiping the creation. Well, next in verse eight through verse 13, we'll see uh, concerning the courts and we'll see concerning uh, the judges as well. So we'll pick up here in verse eight. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt and bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment and another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. You shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you. According to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear 
and no longer act presumptuously. We'll pause there. The courts and the judges were ordained by God and they were to be erected in every city so that the people could go and bring their case, bring their situation uh, before the leaders, have a fair hearing, a fair trial, and, and have the issue resolved. And so they were empowered to hear and determine the causes and judge according to the law. So God allowed for the courts uh, in Israel, and there were then uh, an appeal process. There were higher courts as well, where sometimes a situation came and they're like, you know, I, I want to rule this way, but I could see it could go that way. I'm going to go and inquire of the Lord. I'm going to appeal to some, some other people. I'm going to take this to the priest, the Levites, who understand God's law. They're a little bit wiser in some of these things and, and because of their knowledge of God's word. So we see the authority of the judges. They were to be respected, though, as well as they brought the the determination of the sentence, um, that, that they was essential that what they said was, was taken. If not, then there was what was a contempt of court, and we see it was a capital crime. So God thought it was essential that the courts and the judges be respected across the land of Israel. Later on, the civil and the criminal cases, if there was a difficulty in those decisions, the local magistrates were to submit them by reference to the tribunal, to the Sanhedrin, uh, and in the time of the New Testament, uh, the Sanhedrin was kind of the supreme uh, council, if you will. As I was thinking about this, this logic applies to us as well. When we see we have issues, right, and there's a, uh, a situation that uh, involves uh, a court, right, we, we go to our local court, right, we go to our, our county court. And if there's issues there, uh, then those issues can get taken to uh, the state court or to the circuit court. And then those issues there, if they're not resolved, they can go up to a higher court. And then they can eventually go up to the United States Supreme Court. But we need to realize that there's even a higher court than the Supreme Court of the United States. There's the court of heaven. That's the highest court. That's the court of all courts. And we realize that that's the court ultimately that matters for eternity, right? And we should be concerned with the highest court of heaven ab above all the other courts. And God's desire was that there would be this chain of command, this chain of authority, that his judges and the court systems would recognize he's the lawgiver. He's the one who gave us the law. He's the ultimate judge. And uh, I've been told if you go to uh, the Supreme Court, on the doors there, there's a picture of Moses with the Ten Commandments. I don't know if it's still there. I would imagine there's going to come a time where they want to take those uh, biblical icons off as much as they can in Washington, D.C. Um, but I'm told for the time being, there are still some of those images there that you can see that our founding fathers wanted um, our, our court system, our judges to recognize that they're not the final authority that God's the final authority. And so we see that if there was a person who refused uh, the sentence, they were to be punished, and uh, that it was to be a capital crime. And I was just thinking about that in our context. Um, Jesus makes it very clear, right? There's, there's one way 
Um, there's, there's no alternatives, right? Either we accept him and we receive his salvation and we get to join him in heaven or we reject him and we go our own way and we're separated forever in a place called hell. And the truth is there's no on the fence, there's no middle ground. I hate to break it to you, but there's no purgatory. I know that's probably not a shock for a lot of you, but for some people it is, right? They've put their hope in this place called purgatory. That, hey, you know what? I can be a good person. I'm not good enough. I'll go to purgatory, and then I'll earn my way out of purgatory into heaven. And you won't find that in the Bible. Um, God is our judge. His sentence is final, right? We can't change uh, the mind of God. Uh, his verdict is final. There's no appeal process in heaven, right? What he says is final. And so Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. And so we want to make sure that we recognize that he is our final authority, that he is our king of kings. And we'll see that uh, next here as we move into verse 14 through verse 20 uh, concerning the choice and the duty of a king. It says here in Deuteronomy chapter 17, picking up in verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Verse 18. Also shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and his statutes. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. We see in this last section the law uh, that concerned the kings. We, right, we move from the leaders uh, and the people uh, now to uh, the king. Um, and it's interesting because God knew this was going to happen. Uh, the people would want a king like the nations around them, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, they said, well, the nations around us have a king. We want a king. And Samuel, the prophet, was like, ah, that's not a good idea. Uh, God's our king. And God said, if they want a king, let's give them a king. And so uh, that's eventually what took place. Uh, but they had to remember that the king was also under the command of the Lord and that no king, no ruler was above the law. They were careful to apply the law of God and make that the rule. 
It's also interesting here, verse 15, it, it talks about setting the king whom the Lord chooses. It says, one from one your brethren, and not, not a foreigner. So Israel's first king that they decided to, uh, to go after was Saul. And uh, we're told in 1 Samuel 9 that he was handsome, he was tall, um, and so he appeared to be strong, appeared to be everything that the people wanted. But in time, Saul became prideful. In fact, he would grow increasingly erratic, self-centered as the story progresses, which is sadly what we see happen to a lot of people in the world today. Even talented young pastors and leaders I've seen, they do well in the beginning, and then over time they get prideful and they fall. And if you've watched the Jesus Revolution, you've seen that's kind of what happens to one of the characters um, that happened early in the Calvary Chapel movement. They were lifted up and it, they said that there would be no revolution if it wasn't for them. And it was like, hold on, check your ego. Uh, God can do whatever he wants, right? He can speak through a donkey. We've seen that in the Bible. He doesn't need us. He wants to use us in ministry, uh, but he can replace us in a second, right? He could replace me in a second. Just be thankful that he wants to use us. And so we see that that was to be the heart of the king, was to realize, God, you set up kings and you take them down. And so it, it's, it's in his hands. And so uh, after Saul fell, God looked for a man that was after his heart. And Samuel would go to the house of Jesse, and there Jesse is with his six strapping lads, these, these men. And Samuel's thinking, well, man, the firstborn, that's got to be it. And... Samuel is, is there with Jesse, and he goes through each one of his boys, and God says, no, 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 no. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other kids, any other boys? And he's like, well, there's this one. He's kind of a dreamer. He's a musician. He's out tending the sheep. He's scrawny, little David. And so David comes, and God speaks to Samuel's heart and says, this is the one. And he says, man looks at the outward, I look at the inward. I'm looking at the heart. He's got a heart like mine. He's got a heart that desires real worship, desires me. And so Samuel would uh, eventually anoint David, and we see David would wrestle with that a little bit of the identity that God was calling him to. Later on, he would step into that and become a good king of Israel. And even when he would blow it, he'd be quick to repent and get right back with worshiping the Lord. So Saul was an outward man after man's heart. David was an inward man after God's heart. And the picture of these kings ultimately were to point us to the ultimate king of kings, to Jesus Christ, right? That his kingdom is the kingdom that's gonna endure forever. And it's interesting in Hebrews 2.14, it says that he would be bone of our bone, and so the king of Israel would come as a Jew, come as a king of king, not only for the Jews, but for all mankind to rescue and redeem us all. We also see here it says the king was not to multiply horses or wives. Both of those later on, David's son Solomon would do, and it would be the, one of the downfalls of the nation. Um, if only he had heeded the voice of his father. In Psalm 20, verse seven, it says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, 
but we will remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. When we put our trust in power and might in the things of this world, and the things that we can create to harness in this world, we're going to fail. When we put our trust in the hands of the Lord, then we succeed. And so we see that God was concerned that they would not try and go back to Egypt, to the old ways of the world, to deal with their situations. And we too need to be careful we don't do that, to make deals with the devil or use the world's power or methods to govern, to try and bring God glory by living like the world. So he was told not to only multiply horses and chariots, but also not to have more than one wife. And, um, and he messed that up uh, and his heart was taken away from the Lord. And uh, I don't know, having more than one mother-in-law or father-in-law, uh, probably not the best ideal situation either. Uh, and yet uh, we see that's what took place. <laughs> Excuse me. We see here in verse 18 through 20, it tells us the king was to write out a copy of the law. And it was to make sure that the king knew God's word, that he governed according to the word of God. And as I was thinking about that, it's striking to think the king laboring over the parchment of pen to carefully write out God's word. And yet he was to have a personal copy of the scriptures. God wanted to make sure that those that were going to govern his people knew how to govern from his perspective. And that shows how great God wanted his word to be the hearts and the minds of his rulers. That they wanted to carefully govern and love the people. They needed to know his word. So God wanted every king to know his word, but then also to govern according to his word. Now, I've never wrote out whole books of the Bible before, but uh, ever since I got saved in 2005, I've made it uh, uh, every year to go through the scriptures, to read the Bible, or to listen to the Bible. And I'm constantly blown away by the scriptures. Every year, it's like God shows me something brand new from his word. I remember listening to my pastor, Sam Allen, as he would teach through the Bible, and I'd try to go to everything I could. Uh, at our church service, in fact, Ann and I, we would schedule our life around the bulletin. We would see what's going on and, okay, well, we can't go to that other thing because we're going to go to this on Wednesday night or I'm going to get up early on Tuesday and go to this thing. And, um, and then I remember as I would work, I'd listen to my, my pastor or to Pastor Chuck Smith, his pastor, or I'd listen to a, a variety of Calvary Chapel pastors online and, and just grow in understanding the word of God. And, and so we too, we can get to know God's word. There's many resources available. We've got a CSN radio station here locally. Uh, there's some Calvary Chapel pastors on there. You can get online and listen to Calvary Chapel pastors or other even great pastors that are teaching expositely through God's word. And I'm grateful it's not just a Calvary Chapel thing. There's many other denominations and pastors and teachers out there that are teaching through the scriptures. Um, and so, you can, you can learn God's word, and you can grow in God's word. Uh, and the goal is not to just know it, but it's to then let God's word affect the way that you live, right? that you parent according to God's word, that you work in an environment according to God's word, that you govern and lead according to God's word. So in closing, Chuck Smith said, 
God often goes to the gutter to find the recipient of his grace. He lifts him out, washes him, transforming, making him into a child of God fit for his kingdom. And that is God's grace. And I'm, again, I'm thankful that God uses flawed people. He doesn't have anyone else to use. We're all flawed. But he uses us to accomplish his work. In the hands of the Lord, we can be used for his glory. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. We're to worship in response to his love for us. And God has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life here at Calvary Chapel as well. And uh, we're all in the ministry. God has a plan for each of us to be used for him and for his glory. So my hope is we'll serve our King Jesus, we'll grow in the love and the knowledge of him, and then we'll also recognize that Jesus is coming back soon, that we want to use our time wisely, to use our, our talents for our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Would you continue to sanctify us by your truth? We thank you so much, Jesus, for loving us, that you came to rescue us, to redeem us by your precious blood. May we recognize that there is no other way to be saved but through you, Jesus. We pray that we would receive this good news, but then we'd also share this good news with those around us. And we would proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we ask, God, that you would just continue to mold us and shape us to become more like you. That we would recognize that you are the king of kings. And, Lord, that we would ensure that you are the king that's sitting on the throne of our heart. That we are living our life worshiping you in the way that we say things, the way that we do things, the way that we behave. That, Lord, it would all please you. And Father, we pray if there would be any here this morning who have yet to make that decision to surrender their life to you, to be cleansed of their sins through your precious blood. We pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. We ask, God, that you would convict them of their sin and convince them of your amazing grace. And if you're here this morning, say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me. I need to get right with God. Perhaps you're watching the live stream or listening to this later on and you're ready to surrender your life to God and you realize that he loves you, that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead. If you're ready to give him your life and follow him, I simply want to lead you in a prayer where you make the decision to trust him, to believe in him, and serve him. And if that's you, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe that you love me. That Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the grave. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins. I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. And put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. 
Thank you for being my Savior and my Lord and my friend and my King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus Christ or perhaps a rededication, let me know. I'd love to encourage you, uh, give you some resources, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Mulder of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. life to you I give shout from the inside